Hi, and welcome to today's live webinar. I'm your host, Alex Mason. I'm a global headhunter with CM Industrial, a search firm with teams of recruitment specialists serving markets throughout industrial sectors. Today's discussion is all about the fascinating transition that we've seen the water industry talent market go through in the last 18 months. We'll talk about trends surrounding working from home, digitalization, and discussing the different tactics companies are employing to attract, hire, and retain the best talent in our industry. Before we kick things off, I want to mention this event is brought to you in partnership with the Water Council. And I think, Dean, you would like to say something quite quickly. Yes. Hello, everyone. My name is Dean Amhouse, and I'm the CEO of the Water Council. And on behalf of our organization, I want to thank CM Industrial for partnering with us on today's talent webinar. For those of you who are not familiar with our organization, the Water Council is a global hub dedicated to solving critical water challenges by driving innovation in freshwater technology and advancing water stewardship. Built on more than a century of water innovation, the Water Council has coalesced one of the most concentrated and mature water technology clusters in the world from its headquarters in Milwaukee in the United States. At the heart of making our water technology cluster vibrant and strong are the people in the businesses, utilities, universities, and NGOs. And so this session is extremely important as we operate our businesses today and grow them in the future. Once again, thank you to CM Industrial for co-hosting today's talent webinar. Thanks very much for that, Dean. Anyway, let's get started today and meet today's panel. So Erin, if you'd like to start off and introduce yourself. Good morning. My name is Erin Rothman. I am the CEO and founder of StormSensor. Uh, prior to starting StormSensor, I was a vice president and managing principal at three different environmental consulting companies. The bulk of my background was working with real estate developers to remediate contaminated sites. Um, as I was working with them, we got into construction site management and construction stormwater compliance, which led to the industrial stormwater compliance, which then ultimately led to uh, Storm Sensor being founded. And we now work with cities across the United States uh, to monitor and map how water moves through our storm, sewer, and coastal systems. We've deployed across the country and we are, let's see, as far as hiring, we were 10 people last year, we're 20 people now, we're hiring 15 people at the moment. Fantastic, thank you for that Erin. And uh, Lucas, if you'd be able to introduce yourself as well. Thank you Alex and a uh, good day to everyone out there. I'm very happy to be here today. My name is Lucas Löffler and I have been active in the water industry since uh, 2010. First as president and CEO of Siemens Water Technologies, uh, the successor to the old US filter company, which we later carved out of Siemens, uh, renamed Evoqua and then sold to private investors in 2014. Uh, from 2015 until last year, I served as president of Schneider Electric's global water and wastewater segment. And earlier this year, I founded my own business after retiring from Schneider Electric. And I'm still connected to the water space through consulting, M&A projects, and uh, some board roles in the industry. Fantastic. Thank you very much, Lucas. And Ken, for you. Yeah, hi, Alex. Uh, so I'm Ken Bachhorst. I'm the uh, chairman, president, and CEO of Badger Meter. Uh, Badger Meter is a, a proud 116-year-old Milwaukee, Wisconsin-based company. So I'll, I'll put in a quick plug for Dean and the Water Council, great organization, and we've been a proud uh, uh, charter member of the organization. And I'd encourage anyone to uh, get involved in the Water Council if you're in the water industry. Um, I've been with Badger Meter since 2017. Um, uh, I'm one of those converts that I've spent the majority of my career in industrial or oil and gas applications, and I was uh, very, very proud to be able to come over and lead uh, an organization that does 
smart water metering. So we make the meters and, and communications and software to help utilities and industrial uh, users better understand their flow measurement, leak detection, pressure monitoring, temperature. And recently we've gone into water quality monitoring systems. So, so bringing quality and quantity monitoring together for our end users to uh, better preserve the world's most uh, precious resource. Thank you, Ken. And like I said earlier on, the world has changed a lot in the last 18 months and the talent market in the water industry is no different. While we've all had to deal with the global pandemic, we've also seen companies embracing new technologies and digitalization a lot more. So how has this affected your company and who you hire? I'll come back to you, Ken, with that one. Yeah, so it's been obviously a really interesting time uh, as we've gone through COVID. And, uh, you know, so trying to grasp the, the new technologies to try to get to meet and know people and really trying to assess cultural fit um, is really a challenge with, uh, with the new techniques. And, uh, you know, we've been doing our best to uh, do in-person wherever possible, uh, mix in the technology, really, really adopting the hybrid method now of recruiting. And I think like most people, um, we're trying to recruit a lot of people. Uh, we're growing and doing well. And, um, you know, our, our human resource team has been doing a fantastic job, but it certainly has been a challenge. Absolutely. And how have you found going, going to this more hybrid method? Well, um, you know, it's, it's interesting because it's a trend that we deal with in our business as there's more and more adoption of technology. So, so it's been kind of natural for our team to come, to come up the curve. Uh, but there's still no substitute for me uh, for, for meeting uh, potential new employees face-to-face -face and really getting to know each other because cultural fit is so important uh, that that's always going to be, I think, necessary in building strong teams. Absolutely. And what's your thoughts, Lucas? You've been in this industry a long time, but you were leading Schneider Electric, of course, which, are, which like Padre and Storm Center, a very modern tech-focused business. What's your thoughts on uh, the way in which you've been hiring, but also the way the teams have been remote? Well, uh, you know, what's most interesting for me, uh, having come to this industry about uh, 12 years ago, is um, to learn when I initially joined that this industry is not really looking at innovation. It takes forever for new things to get deployed. And then seeing the actual change that we've all experienced over the last 10, 15 years, specifically the drive towards digitization or digitalization, as some people say, uh, which created a whole uh, new area uh, of, of job profiles for people having backgrounds in data processing, data analytics, um, in fields that I would say a decade ago was almost unthinkable in the water industry, at least uh, you know for people who had uh, been in process engineering and uh, uh, waste management for most of their lives. So um, that is, I think, where, where some of the large companies have a, <clears throat> a slight advantage because they have this uh, lateral mobility, they have divisions uh, which, which typically have access to talent from these different disciplines. And I think the, the biggest challenge for the larger companies who are somewhat agnostic to water because they also do oil and gas and mining and food and beverage and all the other industry verticals. I think the biggest challenge for us in those fields is to um, go scouting internally for people who have some somewhat of a water background, who have worked in water before, you know, best case have even been with a utility for some time. So they have an understanding of um, what the, the customer side would look like. Um, and not just a technological view. Um, this is somewhat different, of course, for smaller companies, uh, undoubtedly, but in the large companies, I think this lateral movement is extremely helpful uh, to staff some of the more technical positions specifically, 
um, that that are needed as we as we see this tremendous change in the water industry on the technological side. Thank you. I mean, I, I agree. I appreciate your your thoughts on this. Now, one thing I would say is important here, Erin, for you is you've always been a big advocate of working from home, embracing new technologies from our conversations anyway. So what's your thoughts in comparison to, to Lucas and Ken's points on this? Well, it's interesting because we are a smaller company, much smaller company, and we're a newer company. Um, so when we started in 2015 and then I hired my first person in 2017 um, and then started hiring a couple other people in 2018, I was already hiring a distributed team. Um, and at that point, considering what we were as a very, very early stage startup, um, there were people who saw what we were doing, shared the vision, reached out to me and asked if they could come. Um, so we started out remote and that's actually benefited us quite nicely through the COVID pandemic because there was very little adjustment for us. Um, obviously with the hardware development that we do, we do keep our warehouse space and our office space. Um, but it's relatively small and keep it optional for our team to participate. And then we just ensure that um, obviously with our existing team, but then also as we grow, that we have those daily touch points with our entire team and between teams, whether it's, it's on video or continually through Slack or whatever the, the method is that a team prefers to use. And then as far as hiring people, um, we, again, being a very small and relatively new company, um, we don't have the internal access that um, like Lucas was referencing. And what has been a shift for us is as we've been hiring um, new software developers who have a lot more experience, they also have those networks. So we are relying more heavily on our team's networks, external networks. And then we work or we rely also on our culture and our vision to get people excited about coming to work for storm sensor um, rather than you know apple or microsoft or amazon so we're doing a lot of hiring in the general tech space and then balancing that with who do we need to who has to have that customer experience that has to have that water experience versus people who don't need it but can be taught absolutely now and i want to refer back to a point you you made there about cultural and developing a culture within your company, even though everyone's pretty much remote. And we talked a little bit about this, that um, very rare, your team really aren't in the office that, that much. You're, you're, you're based across the country. Um, you know, what do you do to create that culture, that, that workplace culture that, that Ken referred to, and we'll come to Ken in a second with his, with, with Badger. What, what's your thought to actually creating and developing your culture and keeping everyone engaged? Well, last year, uh, one of the things that we did was as a team, we came up with our company values and we refer to those on an ongoing basis whenever uh, we're working through issues or when things go wrong, um, because things will go wrong. And um, the fact that we will stand by each other and support each other, and we will absolutely call out someone who doesn't do that uh, to make sure that they understand that this is, this is not okay. And if we're all in this, we're all in this together. Um, so keeping that uh, and maintaining that as we grow, um, ensuring that we hire based on values. So we have a form that we fill out. We have a, a hiring committee for each person uh, that we are each uh, role that we're interviewing for. Um, each person has a form that they have to fill out for every interview. And we keep that totally anonymous and we do not express any opinions or anything or anyone to the rest of the committee until everyone is done and the hiring uh, the lead 
has reviewed everything. And in that is the values and everyone has to hit, or we have to feel like, because obviously values can be qualitative. We have to feel like that each person hits every one of the values before they move forward in the process. Um, so we have a fairly regimented, fairly anonymous um, evaluation process for new hires and then bring, come together and also hire based on feeling. And there was another point that I was going to make, but I forget it offhand. Oh, I remember. Um, the other thing, because even though we had, were mostly remote throughout the course of our company's history, we still had a core group of people in Seattle. So we would have Friday Pi Day, for example, we'd all get pizza. Um, and we don't have that. So now we have forced family fun Fridays. So for 30 minutes, instead of our company standups, um, we all come together as a team and go through some activity together where we get to learn about each other and have fun as a team. And I mean, how does that compare to you again, Ken? Because we, you've already mentioned a little bit, we chatted about this last week and we about your, your feeling of importance of having a cultural fit in the office. And it's something that, that I, 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 I some ways agree with from the way that we work in Charles Morris or have done in the past before COVID, of course, you know, an office-centered company. So how, how, well, what's your thoughts to Erin using, you know, forms and other things throughout her process to try and create that culture remotely and, you know, her insights to that? Yeah, so I, I think it's a, it's a little different in Erin's case, where I think it sounds like she's very effectively understood how to build her company, and that was just a part of how she did it. For us, on the other hand, we've always been together. Now, we, we've worked our way through, and we've gone to a hybrid approach, so all of our employees are back, but now we are more in the three days per week and those types of things, so we're getting the best of bringing people back together, yet still providing some flexibility for people to to enjoy some of the working remote. So I, I think we've I think we found a pretty good balance and uh, it just feels great to have some of the energy around the office again. I, I do small group meetings, like literally 10 or 12 people uh, every couple of weeks. And one of the things people always talk about with Batch Meter is that they appreciate the culture so much. So, so we did have a case where our people were looking to come back, uh, but the hybrid was a big piece. And one of the things I'd like to touch on that that Erin talked about, which is a really, uh, really great point on her part is, uh, we are also by definition, a very small company compared to Apple or, or Amazon or the people that we compete with for software engineers. So this positioning of being in the water space is uh, really interesting and it's very tangible uh, when you go on to college campuses, which isn't as easy right yeah. now, but and you talk to young people and you talk to them, but do you want to be part of, um, you know, programming systems to, to help conserve water, to help bring clean, safe drinking water to people? Or do you want to program the next whatever someone wants to binge watch on Netflix? I, I think it's a pretty compelling thing uh, that people want to be part of something that does good for 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 other people and for the planet now. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. I mean, do you think, and maybe we've come to Lucas here a little bit because you have, as you say, been in this industry a, you know, a long time. Do you think that the demographic and the, the people that were getting interested in water now is, is changing? You know, we've got sustainability, far more uh, visibility to the environmental positives of being in the water sector and attracting more young people. And of course, in a, you know, an aging, workforce as well um i mean what's your thoughts Lucas? Do, you, do you see 
a difference in the sort of the type of people and the, the demographic that we're hiring these days? I would say that's a fair point, Alec. Uh, and um, if, if you just look at the statistics, I think we, we've all seen the stories that about half of the workforce in water is, is eligible to retire in the next uh, five to 10 years. So there's gonna be a huge shift, a huge uh, change of people uh, going out, but also coming into the water space. And um, the one thing I think we're all seeing is the scarcity of people who originally want to work there because of many reasons. One of them, it's never been hugely attractive to work for utilities uh, as a career move. Uh, typically people tend to join companies or suppliers uh, where uh, they have a bit more action and maybe can also be a bit more mobile. But um, we've, seen, we've seen some tremendous change there. And I think um, that's one of the reasons and one of the key drivers for automation in that space because there's simply not enough people to fill the ranks. So it's no wonder that um, digitization software automation in the plants, in the network infrastructure is desperately needed uh, to kind of fill the ranks of the people who cannot recruit. Um, on the other hand, if you look at um, who do we have to work with as we move forward, I think um, there is a new movement uh, globally now, and it started in the last five years. When you look at the sustainability, climate change awareness, uh, ecological mindedness of, of people, I know we had we had similar movements in Europe in the 1970s and 80s when environmentalists started um, coming on stage and. Uh, um, taking over the debate. Uh, so Europe has had a little bit of a head start, but we're now seeing it globally. And I believe a lot of young people are driven <clears throat> by that sense of uh, having to do something uh, for, the, for the good of the planet and for the good of the environment. And water is probably a primary topic in that regard because water and sustainability are um, interlinked and there is no way uh, one can be without the other. So um, I think there, there is a um, at least a... Um, uh, a streak of sun on the horizon that we will see younger people being um, uh, excited to join the space. Um, the good thing about water, by the way, is if somebody has ever gotten into water, they become converts, they stay. And that's actually also been our recruiting principle in, in the large company like Schneider Electric, where it's, of course, much, much harder to have the direct messaging that Aaron and, and Ken mentioned. And I envy them for being in the same building or in the same uh, you know, rooms with, with their employees. In my case, you know, I had about half a dozen employees and in half a dozen different countries. And uh, we had uh, additional couple hundred employees that dealt deeply with water in about 130 countries. So it's impossible uh, to reach all of them and then be with them every day. So messaging um, takes on different forms. Uh, you know, corporate exchanges, corporate uh, um, internet websites are the means of, of, by which you attract people, but also attract um, young talent. Um, the one good thing that we have seen working for us is actually uh, summer interns, which you can readily access in many of the uh, uh, biggest economies. People love to work for companies to see what uh, industrial life would be like. We always had an open heart for people from universities, graduate students, or people maybe one or two years short of graduating, coming in and doing some work for us. And a lot of them love the aspect of being in water because water has a very uh, positive connotation as a field. So um, that, that was one of the best sources of recruiting young talent for us in, in the large company. Absolutely. I mean, I, I completely agree. I think, I think the industry is obviously changing and it's moving forward, which is fantastic to see. I mean, and maybe I come to you um, here, Ken. Um, we've talked a little bit about how you've, you've gone towards a, a hybrid process of hiring. So for you, what, what's really changed 
in your opinion, when it comes to hiring, what do you think are changes that are here to stay? Yeah, I think I think there's a real positive in that you have an opportunity now to talk to many more candidates. It used to tend, you, you used to hire very regionally. So who's in my area? Who can I bring in for interviews and then and then keep here? But now, you know, you can cast the net, of course, much wider uh, with the digital uh, technologies. Um, it also does open the door uh, in certain cases where if you can't find some of your particular talent regionally, now you can offer remote, remote work, even though I did say that I do have a preference for be, people being together. I do also recognize uh, the possibilities that remote work brings now, and it opens up a whole new category of employee that you couldn't reach before. So, so I think, uh, you know, that's where, again, I pointed out, you know, we, we found this hybrid structure to work for us on site, uh, but there is an element of remote that we continue to, uh, to work with as well. And for you, Eric, do you find that now more people maybe want to work remote or are used to working remote? Has it really changed the landscape of the amount of candidates that maybe are interested in working for Storm Center? Have you really seen any changes or I suppose were you just ahead of the curve? You could see into the future and you know, you're already you're already doing it before we thought about it. Well, I would say that we were accidentally already doing it before we had to. So it just worked out nicely that way. Um, because it well and also part of it was we were based in Seattle and we were you know three people and had you know half a million dollars in funding and I could not compete with Amazon and Microsoft and Google and Facebook and I it was impossible so I had to start looking elsewhere across the country in order to bring in candidates who would be um, interested in working for less money but then balancing that with a, a vision that we shared. One thing I was going to say is that um, one thing I, I, I believe or one thing I've seen from going remotely or compared to doing a search with, you know, a strict, you know, commuter distance is we can almost be far more focused on the quality rather than who's available, who can relocate. So you're removing a barrier or, a, or an issue that I suppose doesn't need to be there anymore. Um, so your thoughts on this really, Lucas, do you think that's the way that hiring should be done? generally is quality first and quality focus or what's your thoughts there? Well, I, I, I believe we'll, we'll see both. Um, I mean, uh, if, you, if you just look at the last 10 months maybe, and, and I've been in, in various situations with uh, executive search firms uh, who were looking for talent, this and that, they almost exclusively do this by, uh, by um, um, Zoom or uh, Teams conferences now. Uh, which is a nice way of at least selecting the candidates and taking a look at, um, uh, you know, whether, you know, they, they would pass the, the sniff test, the first level or second level. And so we'll, we'll continue to see it. I think ultimately uh, people still want to meet the person before making a final decision. So that um, personal handshake factor, your presence in the room is still something that people would like to see. And, um, um, that probably does not apply as much to entry-level candidates as to um, uh, more senior-grade uh, um, professionals and, and um, directors and uh, vice presidents that you would, would be hiring. But um, um, I think we'll see much, much more of that remote-connected um, um, searching because you, you reach more people, as, as Aaron just said. It's, it's amazing how can, you can really uh, expand your reach uh, without additional cost. And um, when, when you look at the productivity, 
also of the search firms and the HR consultants, uh, the productivity has been multiplied because you don't have to rush from meeting to meeting and conference rooms. You don't have to process expense claims for um, candidates coming to visit you anymore, which is always something that takes time. So the whole thing has been accelerated in, in, in a good way and um, actually also in a safe way. So I think we'll see more of that um, uh, for the future. And um, just as Ken said that uh, the hybrid work had started um, and then they see the, the, the positive aspects. I think that was one of the key advantages that we had in Schneider, given that we were such a large and decentralized uh, company that we had already learned to master things like WebEx and Zoom and, and Teams in the early years. I mean, we, we, we could manage to have maybe one physical team meeting every year or even two, because it was impossible even to get the core team together at the same place, location in the world. So either we would meet around, partially meet around the big uh, industry conferences, or we would have our regular uh, weekly or bi-weekly calls on Zoom. And, and that's, that's what um, nowadays more and more companies are experiencing that this, uh, this virtual togetherness is actually not all too bad if you can complement it with some um, in-presence um, um, at times. And as my job as, as the central figure in that network was probably the one who did most of the traveling because uh, I saw myself as a spider in the web who kind of uh, approached all of my um, subjects in the different countries. And so I was on the world constantly and, and meeting with two or three of them at a time to at least keep some coherence in a team. I think it's, it's a good thing that you have this physical coherence. It's, as I said, I, I envy Aaron and uh, Ken having that almost as a given because they have uh, smaller locations and more central locations. But the larger your companies will be, the less you will see uh, about that in the future. No, absolutely. I appreciate sharing that. Um, one thing that we talked about um, before we, we started today was actually just general digitalization of the market. We've touched on a little bit since we started. Um, now, coming to you, Owen, we talked about a little bit preparing for this webinar and how you, what you're doing, the software you're doing has transformed the, the accuracy of the data that's being produced um, compared to the, the old techniques. Now, with COVID, I think a lot of people have realized that, you know, being able to do it from home is a lot safer and a lot easier than the old fashioned way and kennel no from meters, you know, having a guy go around and read them. And um, you can do it remotely and by computers a lot easier. So do you think for you personally, you think it's digitization is going to be accelerating more and more? And what do you see as the, the future for that in the next few years? I would say that digitalization is definitely going to accelerate. Um, I think that it's already happened in so many other industries and in so many other utilities that waters, uh, wastewater is among the last to follow. So we have a lot of opportunities there and I'm sure like Ken's mentioned, um, branching out into quality aspects as well. Um, but it's such a, I mean, one of the things that we're focusing on is basically metering the last unmetered utility. So instead of having a sensor here and then another one over there and keeping them for three months and extrapolating that data out, being able to deploy networks, data networks across uh, sewer sheds with pretty high density um, sensor placement and really high density data coverage. So you're really understanding that um, the variability within those systems. And ultimately, like I said, metering those systems. And when we're doing that with cities, what they see, I mean, their first thought is we're selling a sensor and we can get data from that sensor on the software, um, but we do um, these networks. And as long as we do networks that are comprehensive enough and they can actually get that visibility, then they would start expanding that across their communities. So 
um, we're seeing it just within our own customers. And I think it's a perfectly natural thing to continue since it's happened in just about every industry except wastewater. Absolutely. And and with that, of course, you, know, you, you keep changing. The market changes. The market arguably catches up with everyone, everyone else, as you said. You know, that presumably must bring a new set of talent that you have to bring in the market. So has that changed it for you, Ken, though, who, the teams that you have, the, the work that you're doing, and who you're bringing into the company? Yeah, so, so Lucas had brought up earlier that this is a slow-moving, risk-averse industry, and that's very true. But as the world is evolving and, and into what we feel is information now has to be uh, available in real time, on demand, from anywhere. And that's a trend that COVID has really uh, taken and, and really brought some tailwinds to. So it was already happening. Every young person now grows up with a phone and they can know the answers to everything immediately. Hopefully they look at the right sites to get the right answers, but anyway, uh, I can't always help that. Um, but, but really this trend toward real-time on-demand anywhere, our customers are now starting to trend that way, our employees are trending that way, and I think society in general is already there. Absolutely. And for you, for you um, Lucas, you, do you think with this modern uh, structure, with this modernization, do you think you, everyone needs to be, you know, the talent that you're getting needs to be more along these lines? So more flexible, you know, more towards smart technologies in the future if the companies are going to succeed? Well, absolutely. Um, and then, you know, both both Aaron and, uh, and Ken stress that this is a trend that is irreversible and uh, will probably accelerate in the future. And, uh, you know, in my case, having been in different uh, high tech areas before aerospace, logistics, um, industrial automation for many years, I was I was actually shocked to see uh, in which state the water industry was lagging behind pretty much every every other major industry. So I think it's not for a lack of technical solutions. They're all there. They just need to be deployed. Um, Ken mentioned the real-time aspect, and yes, there has been some struggle over the years to develop real-time water sensors that can give you more than just the speed and the, the flow and the, the pressure, but maybe some of the, the higher value uh, information like what pollutants you have in the water or what bacteria you have in the water, but we'll see, we'll see some breakthroughs there in the next couple of years. So the ingredients are all there. I think what's, what's lacking today is uh, the visibility of what uh, use cases could be brought, beneficially brought to utilities and to network operators to help them uh, get on top of their infrastructure in a much better way than in the past. And um, when you discuss the topic with uh, you know, some of the large players in the space, they will tell you that they all know that today they probably spend about uh, 30, 40, if not 50% of their time chasing after the wrong problems uh, in their maintenance, in their asset management, in their um, upkeep and what, what have you. So they're wasting money on something that shouldn't be wasted. So I think what we have to teach uh, the next generation that's coming after is to understand the situation in which those utilities and operators are, put themselves in the shoes of what their key problems are, and then develop value propositions that kind of translate the technologies that you have at hand today and give them, give them something, um, how they can solve their problem in a better way. So as Aaron mentioned, uh, data analytics, or as, as Ken mentioned, uh, you know, covering the last mile uh, smart meters that uh, kind of send the data automatically so you don't have to send an inspector every year or two. So there's countless places, both in the water network world, but also in the water treatment world or in the reservoir world where you have um, opportunities if you get the people who understand your end users problem 
and can translate that into a meaningful way into value propositions based on the technologies that the uh, companies want to sell. Fantastic. Thank you for that. Um, so we're going to now pass on to some questions from, from the audience, and then I'm going to let you have some final thoughts as well before we, we leave today. Um, so the first one from Dylan Weigel. Um, so asking for you, what kind of academic background is most valued in the water, uh, water industry? I'll go to you first, Lucas. Well, um, I, I wouldn't say it's an academic background as much, even though traditionally you found a lot of civil engineers or biochemical engineers in the water space. I think um, what's most needed is, is some sense of uh, purpose, as I said earlier, that you want to work in the space because whichever function you will work in, um, you, will, you will get to learn the ropes, you will get to learn the space and become, become an expert over, over the years. Um, it's interesting, by the way, that smaller companies, in, in my experience, they tend to hire more for the functions because they need to fill functions to, to run their business, whereas the larger companies tend to have a surplus of people for almost every function so they hire more for the career aspect of something but uh, ultimately um, you know any anything that is biochemical environmental or civil engineering may make sense but in in my case uh, you know even uh, even um, I had my background was in, um, in uh, computer science and, and electric engineering so even that uh, is, is not a bad uh, outset, specifically when you talk about the, the onset of the digital age in, in water wastewater. So you, you have to have some kind of a technical background, the capability to solve problems. Uh, you have to have a mind for your customers and you have to have this strong sense of purpose that drives you. Great. And Erin, what's your thoughts on that? Do you think that's the case for everyone you hire or you know, if we're doing commercial roles? For example, can we maybe not be technical uh, people. What's, what's your thoughts when it comes to hiring people? Oh, well, I think Lucas pretty, put it pretty perfectly, but I can elaborate specifically for our company. Um, when we're looking for salespeople, we tend to hire engineers, um, civil engineers who have practical knowledge of the systems that our customers are working within, um, because we're selling both to the public works side, so the guys who are actually working in the pipes, and we're selling to the stormwater engineers and the resiliency planners. Um, which means that we need to be able to speak their language or we don't get the respect from them. Um, and that's perfectly reasonable. So ensuring that we have people who can talk to speak the language and respect the work and understand the systems. Um, as far as uh, hardware development, we're looking primarily for people less on the uh, water side, but more on the computer science or electrical engineering, mechanical engineering. Then when we move to software, uh, we're looking for companies who are, I'm sorry, developers who work in IoT, who work in spatial data analysis and development. But then once we get to the data scientists that we're hiring, we're partial to people who understand water systems because the data is telling a story. And what you make of that story tends to be based on your background and experience. And some people can come up with the most phenomenally bizarre but delightful explanations. Um, but then having that basis in water can help and, and sewers can help you understand what that data really means. Thank you very much. And Ken, do you agree with meters? Do you, do you still look for maybe electrical or an engineering background? Or have you found, have you got some success stories from people you know, with no technical uh, background? Yeah, so um, we are in this uh, mix of bringing industrial and tech together. So for, like I said, 100, over 100 years, we've been making brass mechanical meters. 
and we will continue to make those forever. And we have supply chain roles, we have operations roles. Uh, on our development side now, we're doing more and more communications. So development of radios, uh, software developers. So, you know, for me, uh, all the way across, um, you, you, can, you can come into the water industry from many different ways on both the industrial side and the manufacturing side, all the way through the highest software tech development. So uh, for me, uh, all are welcome. Uh, feel free to apply to uh, Badger Meter, our website. We're looking for people today. So there. No plug in there for you. Uh, <laughs> and I've got one from Stacy uh, Vogel Davis. Um, and she's asking Is there a need to reach out to younger people even before they've gone into college to work into water? How do we accomplish that? What's your, what's your thoughts on that one, Ken? I'll throw it back to you. Yeah, so we. Um... I can't remember, I think Lucas uh, talked about internships before. So we, we support a, a, a very, actually large by comparison uh, intern program. And some of that does even include um, high, school, uh, high school students. So we keep trying to reach people younger and younger uh, to get them involved with Badger Meter, to get them involved in, in the water industry. And that's been a, a really strong pipeline for us. Uh, we found that when, when you can get interns in, uh, get them involved in, in the business, the, the, the company, uh, they tend to want to stay. So I, I think Stacy's question is very good. And the better you can do that, the better your prospects are for uh, finding and keeping good people. Is that, is that something that you did traditionally at Schneider or at Siemens, Lucas, getting interns in at sort of a young age? And, and if so, how did, how did that go? And I suppose, what, what did you get out of that? I think um, if you specifically see it in the context of sustainability, which, which Schneider has been all about for the last um, 10, 20 years, probably, um, the messaging of the company, if you go to the webpage, if you go to all the publications, uh, annual reports, and so on, has been strongly focused on the sustainability aspect. So my job and the job of my team as ambassadors of water in a large electric company was pretty much to convert that message a little bit to the water space when we talked uh, at conferences, when we talked at uh, innovation um, forums that we had internally, and we made it a, a key practice whenever we had an innovation forum to which we would invite 1,500, 2,000 of our key customers, we would always invite a couple hundred of the local students, typically on the last day. They would, of course, be chaperoned by our HR um, uh, VPs and directors, uh, and of course, uh, some trinkets would be left behind as well. And uh, um, we would love these folks to, uh, you know, to come to our booth that we had built up for our customers and, and have an engaged discussion. It was probably one of the highlights of these conferences that we had. So we had a very direct approach, both through the corporate messaging, but also through hands-on contacts at these fairs. And in the, in the typical year before the pandemic, Schneider would probably have about a dozen of these fairs globally. So each major world region would have one or two. And um, typically it would be in a large city. So you always had a university or colleges close by where interested students would, would be able to sign up and attend these tours. I think that that hands-on, that personal contact, specifically also being able to talk to people who live in a certain location and could offer internships or maybe even some people would do their graduate work um, supported by the company. That is a huge benefit that the larger companies have. Yeah, well, thank you very much. Glad to hear that you were, you know, engaging and using your you know, events to also engage more than just just customers. I mean, Edward, I'm, I am presuming that you might not be that position yet to have interns and, and things like that. But is this, is there anything that you do 
with graduates or even before people go to college to try and get the name out there or try and groom perhaps some uh, exciting talent that may be finishing soon. What's your thoughts there? Absolutely. Uh, we hire interns all the time. And I absolutely love working with college students. One of the things that we um, do with the interns is we have um, a small team that we're targeting some really tight goals that we have to hit. So everyone's kind of all hands on deck at all times. However, and they're focusing on company goals right now. My job is to look the, at the next set of goals. And oftentimes what I'll do is bring on interns to start some of these um, initial projects and start validating market or validating a solution or an idea that we have um, before we start doing full on development. And oftentimes we've ended up hiring those interns after the summer's over. Fantastic. Um, now, going on to our last question, it's come from Pam Apino, who I know is a HR director. Um, now, what she asked is, are you, um, any of you using technology to track employee performance, reskilling or enhancing employee communications when working remotely? So, Erin, I'll go back to you there because, of course, you're, you're very, very, uh, talked a lot about working from home and things like that so far. Certainly. Uh, we use Slack for office communications, we use Microsoft and Teams. Um, for all of our video calls, we use Jira and uh, the Atlassian products. There are all kinds of tools that we use um, to enhance communication and ensure that everyone has whatever they need to talk to each other. As far as tracking performance and activity, um, like I said, we're pretty busy. So if someone's not pulling their weight, it's very obvious. I'd rather um, pay the people to do a job, expect them to do that job, trust that they are doing that job. And if they're not, then we can talk about it. And if they want to work someplace else, we can work together on that opportunity. Fantastic. And did you invest in any new tech, um, Ken, during the pandemic or when you were sort of adapting a little bit, maybe to more being at home? Is that something that you looked into? Well, I, you know, I think there was just an evolution of using the tools that already existed. So if I think about how COVID first started, I mean, our, our uh, IT team did a phenomenal job that once we made the decision March of 2020, within 24 hours, anyone who could be re working remotely was. And that was just a tremendous effort that I didn't even realize was possible. And then in the first meetings that you have on Teams or Zoom, nobody's using the camera. And then all of a sudden you start to see the cameras. Well, now you're at a point where nobody does a meeting anymore that's a conference call. I don't even know why we have phones on our desks anymore. Uh, everything now is video. Everybody's used to being on video. And, and I, I, I've just seen a natural evolution of using the tools. Uh, and to the question of do we track performance, same as Aaron, you know, we, one of our core values is trust and, uh, and we don't monitor people. Uh, we have very smart goals that people uh, work toward. And uh, to Aaron's point, if they're not meeting their goals, we have constructive conversations on how to do that. But we're not using tech to track that. That's that's a bridge too far. And Lucas, for you, I mean, obviously you had a, a, a vast amount of employees in your in your obviously in your companies. But what what's your thoughts to to that and, and tracking performance and things like that? Did you have again? Do you share it in Ken's view, or did you maybe have a little bit more analytical view to making sure everyone was pulling their weight? I suppose. Well, it's actually funny when, when I think back of my early days at Siemens Water, I had a, um, a, a very good CFO, but he firmly believed that people had to be on site, otherwise they wouldn't be working. And whoever wanted to work from home should take a day off. 
um, that was the one extreme. And then when I came to Schneider five years later, uh, Schneider was this huge decentralized global company with locations uh, everywhere. I mean, Siemens was not that much different, but uh, the way that Schneider set up its teams globally was uh, much, much more distributed. So from day one, uh, we were actually used to these tools. For us, the pandemic only meant uh, to add a couple more routers and switches to make uh, the network performance better, but the network was already in use and established. We'd been practicing it since uh, since when I joined the company in, in 2015 and even before that. So for us, it was not unusual. It, interestingly, when you said this thing about um, people being on video or not on video, we were actually asked initially to, 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 to shut the video down because the bandwidth would be improved. And if, if you have a corporation of 130,000 all trying to be online pretty much at the same time, well, given it's three different world regions, it's probably one third of, of each and some overlap. But um, so we initially um, turned it down so we would not consume as much bandwidth and everybody else could be uh, could be profiting from it. But ultimately, uh, it, it developed in a natural way uh, to develop some kind of um, of an etiquette um, as you um, as you do that. But it worked extremely well, and um, I'm a firm believer in in, in results-driven um, um, work and not in attendance-driven work. So. In my view, if somebody has something to attend to during the day and wants to work at night, that's perfectly okay with me. And there may be, of course, differences depending on what um, what uh, trade you're looking at. If you're looking at an R&D team that has to be, let's say, gathered around some machine or contraption pretty much during the day, that's a completely different way of working than if you had an administrative work, uh, you know, number crunching or, um, you know, or ordering stuff, purchasing stuff. And you will always have some uh, functions in your, in your staff that need to be physically engaged. You know, think of um, your customer service. It's extremely difficult if you need to fix something in the field to not send people physically there. But even uh, all the clarification that takes place until then could be done virtually. Uh, sales calls can be arranged virtually. And a lot of, um, I'm on the board of a small company that has uh, maybe uh, two dozen salespeople they have completely switched the way they deal with customers. And yes, there still is um, you know, new, new customer visits and uh, occasional visits by, by the by head of sales, but they have learned um, to do the majority, I would say 60, 67% of, of their activity is now Teams-driven or, or Zoom-driven and um, saves them a lot of commuting time. And they have, they're much more, um, um, you know, um, their efficiency is much higher than it was before because that travel factor uh, goes away for at least half of the, the meetings they have with their clients. And a lot of clients, you know, sometimes just want to confirm something and you can just, you know, call your customer, uh, your client up and, and, and talk to them for a couple of minutes and then uh, drop it again. You don't have to be physically there all the time. So I think we'll see, as both uh, Aaron and, uh, and, and Ken said, we'll see the continuation of this because it's convenient. Uh, it's, it's, it's pain-free once you've learned how to deal with it and um, your effectivity actually goes up. Fantastic, thank you very much. So one thing, I want, one last thing I'm gonna ask from you all is, is a final thought. So from your side then, what's the one piece of advice you give to any water business that are looking to grow their teams, invest in talent in, in today's market? I'll, I'll come to you first, Ken. Yeah, so, so first off, I mean, just being in, in the water space is just great business to be in because obviously water is the most crucial thing on the planet, everyone needs it aging infrastructure, aging workforce, the business fundamentals of being in water are, are just good to begin with. Second, uh, there is some, you know, I think Lucas referred to this er earlier, 
you know, purpose-driven. If you feel like you want to to make a difference in something that that really matters in the world, being in the water space is really important. And and the future is really bright. And I think with the with the advancing technology, both in how we attract employees and how customers utilize our products and services, uh, the future is extremely bright. And I'm I'm really happy to be part of it here at Badger Meter. Thank you, Ken. And Erin, what's your what's your piece of advice? I guess I would say. Well, everything that Ken said, that was phenomenal. And then also um, keeping an open mind for who you're hiring and what they do. And flexibility is really important. We've hired a, I mean, to me, surprising number of people who've just had babies. Um, So making sure that they have the time to spend with their families and being respectful of that means that they are going to be much more willing to work odd hours to get the work done. Um, And then you know, for me, as an example, commuting, taking that commute out of someone's life, that's two hours of my day back. And I would just commute for an hour, sit in an office for eight hours, be on calls, and then get back in well, on the train and go back. So understanding that there is a lot more opportunity for productivity without wasted time or lost time. Um, but at the same time, there are going to be people that you hire that need that human connection. So ensuring that you have an opportunity for them to either work with your team or in a shared co-working space will uh, keep other people inspired as well. So it's all a balance. Thank you. And what's your thoughts, Lucas? What's your piece of advice for a, for a water company wanting to grow now in this market? Well, you know, pretty much all the good things have already been said by Ken and Aaron, <laughs> but um, maybe you you um, keep in mind to teach uh, people who are interested in a, in a potential position in water that this is a, a career aspect, which is not a, a one-way street. Water is incredibly um, far and wide as a field. There is uh, so many different opportunities in the water space, be it on the network side, be it on the treatment side, be it on the recycling side. Um, there is there is um, huge um, opportunities everywhere and keep teach your people to, um, to stay mobile, to see this as a career, uh, you know, support them in, in having different views and aspects of the water space. Um, I can think of one employee who actually worked for utility for a couple of years, then joined the supply side. And uh, I think that's the best of both worlds when you understand the field. My own team is keep an open mind specifically for your customers because uh, it's their problems you're trying to solve. So put yourself in their shoes, um, try to understand what what, uh, keeps them awake at night and um, try to, you know, not, not just push your own product, but try to get a more holistic view of the space. And because that's what innovation usually comes from um, to understand what's what's not yet resolved and where they still have problems today. Keep that holistic view and uh, keep pushing for innovation. Thank you. Well, that's a great place to leave today. Thank you, Lucas. Uh, so thank you everyone for joining us. Thank you again to today's panel. It's been a fantastic conversation. And of course, you have any recruitment needs within water or wastewater, Please get in touch. You can find me on LinkedIn or you can get in touch by emailing me at alex.mason at cmindustrial.com. Thank you, everyone, and goodbye.